What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want. Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help organizations discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we create programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Gaurav Bhatnagar, Bhatnagar, the the founder of Co-Creation Partners, which works co-creatively with organizations to deliver performance and culture transformations and enhance leadership development. He's the co-author of Unfear, Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being, which we'll be discussing today on the program. Joining us today from Stanford, Connecticut, Gaurav, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. I am too, Gaurav. I um I really enjoy so much my role of, of hosting the show. I once had somebody tell me that I'm a radio show host with a reading problem, and it's true, right? And so I get to read these amazing books from people like you who make my world better. So, you what you've written about Gaurav is so so important, and I know it from the work that I do with organizations too. This this notion of fear. So let's jump right into that. Um, for it, it seems like such a, an, an easy word. It's four letters, but it's very powerful. So for, for, from your vantage point, what is fear and why and how does it serve humans? That's a great question. So what is fear? Fear is an emotion that you experience when you are either anticipating or facing a unpleasant event person or situation mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. and and it's an emotion that is tremendously helpful for our physical survival i mean if we did not have fear as a as a core emotion chances are we could you know we as human beings are probably the most ill-equipped of all animals to survive in 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 on this planet but fear allows us to understand what are the situations in when we are in danger of physical threat to to protect ourselves and not do things that that which would get us into trouble so that's mm-hmm. the benefit of fear right right well then since you and i both work inside companies to help leaders and organizations why is fear such a problem in organizations oh that's a great question so so here's the thing uh, you know, unlike unlike in in our everyday life, or or when we were living in prehistoric times when there were saber-toothed cats trying to kill us, <laughs> most of the time we are not getting killed in organizations, but we behave like we are, and unfortunately, the brain cannot differentiate a physical threat from emotional threat, 
And what happens is when we are under emotional threat, the thing that we're trying to protect is our ego. And in order to protect our ego, we end up behaving in exactly those same uh, patterns that we do use when we are in physical threat. We either fight, we flight, or we freeze, right? And that leads to dysfunctional responses and that leads to dysfunctional reactions from the other side as well. So something which is fundamental to our physical survival when used in an emotional uh, situation, which is not imp impacting your physical survival, leads to dysfunction. In fact, I would go to the point of saying that fear is the single biggest source of waste in organizations. Yeah, you it say that us, in the book. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's no, it's so, it's so, and when you say it that way, Gaurav, think about how listeners and viewers think about this. If fear is the single biggest waste in your organization, shouldn't you do something about that, right? And and so what I think is so important about the work that you've done is 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 not saying that we must deny it because we, I know that you also say well in your book about there's a lot of, we want to actually kind of erase it out and pretend that it doesn't exist. And I really appreciate, Gaurav, that you and your co-author, Mark, say that it's not about removing fear or denying it, rather the solution is to transform our relationship with fear. And you say fear in and of itself is just an emotion, which is neither good nor bad. It's about our relationship to fear. Can you say more about transforming our relationship to it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so fear is fundamentally, you know, is, so let's talk about the relations. So fear is just an emotion, as I said, it's neither good or bad. It's just cueing for you that there's a situation where there's some anxiety that is happening. To now, here's the interesting thing. Our relationship to fear is about the story we create around it. Yes. Right? And the single biggest superpower, the power that we have as human beings is our power of imagination. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine it to create all kinds of bad things for us, or you can imagine it to be an opportunity for learning and growth. When you imagine it to be all kinds of bad things, you collapse into it and you make the fear bigger than who you are. But when you see it as an opportunity for learning and growth, you get curious about it and you ask the question, what is it there to learn? When a manager is screaming at me, what is there to learn in terms of how I need to respond to that situation so it leads to a better outcome versus saying, oh my God, my life is terrible. I have this useless manager and I'll always be in this miserable situation, right? So there's a fundamental reframing that we can do but as Spider-Man's uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility, right? And unfortunately, our superpower of imagination is not like, you know, you'll always use it for good, right? So we often end up using it in suboptimal and dysfunctional ways. So true. And that's the switch of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so good and so yummy, right? So I want to give this to our, our listeners and viewers the way that you rendered in the book because your writing is, is exquisite. It's very clear and it's very crisp and it's compelling. Um, but you but you say that the fear, the unfear process of reframing will free you from your reactive patterns to fear and allow you to be to be in mastery rather than having fear control you, which is what you just said. But you further go on, you say it will enable a state of being in which you welcome fear as an opportunity to learn, a state that unlocks sustained performance as an individual, a team, and an organization. So what I, of course, I'm a sucker for learning. That It's my number three strength for the Gallup, right? That's part of the reason I host this show, a big reason I host this show. So I really appreciate, Gaurav, how you've led us into and invited us into the space to really, in many ways, embrace fear as a way to learn. And I think that's profoundly important and really... Um, 
um, foundationally radical for our listeners and viewers. Yeah, and in fact, one of the first things we do in organizations when we go in is we, we, we actually draw a circle on a flip chart and we talk about the comfort zone. And, and you know, most people say comfort zone is a good thing and we say, yeah, great, but there's also, you know, if you stay too long, it, it leads to feeling completely stagnated. And then we ask the question, what happens when you get pushed out of the comfort zone? And the first reaction is fear of failure, anxiety, stress, and then someone says, learning and growth mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and stuff right. like that. And then we say, hey, by the way, your learning zone lives outside your comfort zone. And the thing that separates the learning zone and the comfort zone is fear. And you have to go through fear to engage in significant learning in your life. So fear is always a cue for learning and growth when it's emotional in nature. And it's a transformative idea because now you're fundamentally seeing fear as a place where you go and look for where your learning edge is and where your growth edge is. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have to go here, Gaurav. So since I also work in the, in the space of transformation, one of the things that I've grappled with over time is how can I introduce in my workshops, the work that I do organizations, you know, introduce the discomfort, you know, what, what happens when you go through a divorce process and your world is upside down, you get fired from a really great, important job, you know, all kind of these things that happen to us that help us be able to really transform to another level. And I've always wondered, how can I inject that into my workshops to be be able to provide that necessary element of fear and discomfort. How do you do it? Yeah. So, so there's a couple of thoughts to that, right? So there's two ways I often do it. The first question I ask people to think about is think about a challenge in their life that they've experienced from which they have learned, right? And often it is one of those deeply uncomfortable ones like divorce or whatever, whatever. And I ask them to say, how do you feel about it today? Are mm -hmm. you better because of that? And think about how did you feel when you were going through it? Mm -hmm. Right? And often we, we don't think about it, but actually the process of going through it was deeply uncomfortable. And yet that is what made us much more effective in showing up today. So that's mm -hmm. one way. Okay. Other, I, oh, go ahead, please. There's... No, the other one, let's so hear the, it. The other, way, the, the, the other way is very simple. I share with them a deeply, uh, profoundly sad, but powerful shift in my life, which was the passing of my father and how that led to my own transformation in terms of how I understood relationships because I'm the younger of two children and I always thought I was going to be the baby of the family in relationship to my parents. And my father was unfortunately passed away within five minutes and all of a sudden my mother became my child. Mm, wow. And it's a profound experience of understanding that relationships are not fixed. And mm -hmm. even though there was fear and sadness in that moment, it was the most transformational moment. And that's a way of helping people understand that in their fear and in their sorrow, there's actually a huge seed for learning and growth and actually profound shifts if you mm -hmm. choose to see them. Mm -hmm. You quote Viktor Frankl in your book. I, I'm an, an organizational logotherapist. I'm schooled in, in that whole wow. in that whole area. And yes, that is our opportunity. And you say in your book beautifully, we have always the choice in how we choose to respond. 
and and yet we humans need that tension. And so it's interesting. There's such an interesting balance in the work you do. We do need that tension. We need that to grow and we learn. But too much of it is actually debilitating. So now what I want to get into next, Gaurav, is there's listeners and viewers that are probably thinking to themselves, you know, sometimes fear is good, you know, and it is to a certain extent. But how do you know, Gaurav, how will we recognize, how would listeners and viewers recognize the extent to which fear is present in their organizations? What does it look like? So the way you recognize fear in your organization is not by trying to measure fear, but to try and measure the behaviors that are showing up. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's the tangible manifestation of fear. And you know that fear is in your organization if you see one of two patterns and then there are subdivisions of those patterns. The, the first pattern is what we call the aggressive defensive pattern or the fight pattern, yep. which is all about people showing up in the organization from a point of view of wanting to prove themselves in order to survive. It's not done from a place of achieving. It is done from a place of trying to prove yourself, right? Prove yourself by pointing out mistakes other people do. Prove yourself by controlling everything your subordinates do. Prove yourself by always competing with other people and trying to be always better. My brother is a great example of that. And the last one is uh, be so super perfectionistic that you do everything 200% right. Not because it's effective, but because that's the way you prove yourself. The other pattern that shows up in organizations where you hide into the background and you hope that by hiding, nothing bad will happen to you, mm-hmm. right? And that's often done by avoiding making tough decisions, just doing what your boss tells you to do and not ever questioning it, following the rules to the T, or just being nice to people and never and you know never saying anything that would rock the board because you want to be part of the many, right? So fundamentally, the way fear shows up is a combination of these aggressive, defensive, and passive, defensive fight and flight patterns that mutually reinforce themselves. And often in organization, what you see is that the people who have the fight patterns are saying that the reason why we behave this way is because those guys are not doing what they're supposed to do. And the guys who are in the flight pattern are saying, the reason we don't do anything is because the guys are always screaming at us. And the more we'll try and do things, they'll scream at us. So it becomes a mutually reinforcing dysfunctional pattern. So those are the behaviors you're looking for that mm-hmm. tells you whether there's fear in the organization or not. Mm-hmm. Now let's turn the coin over then, Gaurav. What does an unfear organization look like? Great. So first of all, I don't think unfear organization is a destination. It's a way of being. And it's not like you stay in that state forever. You keep going, you know, you keep moving and keep moving and it keep testing you. But an unfair organization tends to display four behavioral patterns. Again, we call these uh, the wise uh, thinking or constructive patterns. Uh, the first one is around, you know, having a seeker mentality, which is about organizations where people are in a learning mode all the time. They're curious. They're testing the boundaries. They're taking risks, which are within bounds, but but there are risk taking. The second is there's a lot of coaching going on. The focus is not on proving what someone is doing wrong. The focus is on how do I help other people develop. Mm-hmm. The third one is there's a lot of trust building going on in the organization. The importance of the team is greater than the importance of the individual. And the last one is that there's a lot of achievement going on, but not from a place of desperation, but from a place of thoughtful 
uh, stretch goals and planning that allows you to show up in really effective ways and allows you to to bring people along in a way that they feel that they want to participate versus they feel they're scared and therefore they have to participate. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Gaurav. So listeners and viewers, we're going to go into our first break. And I want you to think about which of the two organizations would you rather be in, the more of the fear organization or the unfear organization? If you're a leader, which one do you want to steward? So I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Gaurav Bhatnagar. He's the co-author of Unfear, Transforming Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. We've been talking a bit about what is fear and how does it show up in organizations. After the break, we're going to hear more about the, the book and its contents and also the, the, the eight archetypes of fear in organizations. Fascinating stuff. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. Before we get in, back to the conversation, I want to invite you to check out my first book that came out in 20, 2020. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. I wrote that book to awaken the, the readers to their passion and their purpose and transform them into inspirational leaders that can actually steward their people to their greater heights. And I use the content as a basis for my Vitally Inspired program and the Grab Your Gusto. So I hope you check it out. For joining me today, my guest is Gaurav Bhatnagar. He is the founder of Co-Creation Partners, which works co-creatively with organizations to deliver performance and culture transformations and enhance leadership development. He's the co-author of Unfear, Transforming Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So one of the things that you also talk about, which is just really fascinating, what I find really compelling, Gaurav, is that we as human beings are these amazing creatures, right? We can create skyscrapers. We can go to the moon and back. But at the end of the day, we are still constructed of this really prehistoric way of being. It's fascinating. We have to be able to navigate that. So one of the things that you write about, and I've seen it also firsthand many times at organizations, is that fear is contagious, you say once fear becomes a mood or a habit for one person in an organization, that mindset can quickly spread. This is because humans, as deeply social beings, mirror the emotions and behaviors of the people around them. Yes, yes, and so yes. Say more about that. Yeah, so, you know, here's, here's the interesting idea. Organizations don't transform individuals too. Right. Right, and not just organizations, but systems don't transform individuals do. And, and what happens is because we learn from each other, because we are, you know, social beings, we learn by, by what other people's experience is and we learn by how other people verbalize that experience. Um, you know, and so for example, if, if there's a system where there's constant talk about fear and constant talk about how someone is by doing bad things to us, we then start ostracizing that person because that person is now 
dangerous to us. Mm-hmm. And the way we learn is through repetition. So the more we hear it again and again and again, the more it becomes part of us. So there's one individual who is tremendously influential. He or she repeats the same thing again and again. It starts infecting everyone else. That's how movements are born. That's what politics in America is today, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's all about one side and the other side having their own fear narrative that they keep repeating and then everyone just joins in and then we start creating separation and every every time there's an election we spend one billion dollars more than the last one and all it does is leads to fragmentation mm-hmm. and that's that's the social nature in which how this thing all works yes and i want to take it one step further go off so listeners and viewers just, just put yourself in this scenario you've been here a million times i promise you walk into a meeting and the first thing you you start to realize just as you walk in first that you can sense that there's a tension hanging in the air then you start to notice body language this is all happening unconsciously by the way you start to notice the body language people are stiff and when people are speaking it's short staccato kind of words or, or phrases and, and so they're they're holding themselves they're protecting themselves and then you start to notice that joe over there who always has an opinion is not speaking up because he's scared. He knows he's going to be shut down. So when you start to recognize how this really does sweep, how contagious this really is, now think about how this shuts down innovation, engagement, performance. I mean, this is this is real. And there's so there's such an opportunity to be able to address this as you're as you're helping organizations do go up. Your work is so critically important. Yeah, and at least if I don't know if you've read the book Primal Leadership, but they say that, you know, they, they've done this experiment again and again. They bring three people off the street inside a room. They ask them to sit there for two minutes without saying anything. And before they get in, they, they have to answer all kinds of things, including what emotion are you feeling and how strongly you're feeling it. And in 70% of the situations, in those two minutes, the person who's feeling an emotion the most infects the other two people with that emotion without saying a single thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The good news is that the easiest emotion to infect someone with is joy. The bad news is the next two of anger and fear, right? And it, just by the state in which we are, the mood we are in, we infect other people, especially mm-hmm. when we are in positions of power and influence within the system. Oh, this is so important. No, I don't know that book, but now it means that I have to go out and find the author and invite them on. So thank you for that. Um, so let's let's bring our listeners and viewers back who are like suddenly starting to feel uh, you know upset and tense over what we're discussing. Let's bring them back into an opportunity zone. Okay. So what you say in the book is the more you are aware of and interrupt your habitual responses to fear, the weaker the neurologic pathways will become, and the less time you'll spend in a mood of fear. That's an opportunity. That's encouraging. Yeah. And so again, as I said, reality is what you repeat to yourself again and again and again. So if you repeat something different, which is if you have an imagination and you repeat something different, it's like walking—it's like a path that is created in a meadow. If you keep walking on the same path, it creates a path. If you stop walking that path, then the path disappears. And if you start walking a new path, it starts creating. So the, be very aware of what you're saying to yourself because what you say to yourself becomes your reality. Be very aware of the people you are with because the people you are with, what they're saying to you becomes your reality, which is why also be very aware of the social media you consume and the things you type because you are you are in an echo chamber and that echo chamber starts creating your reality. But if you want to shift that echo chamber, it's very easy to do because you just need to find a new place 
and you can shift. And the question you have to ask yourself, this is the most important. People think about life in good, bad, right, wrong. The only question you need to ask yourself is, am I being effective in this situation? Mm-hmm. And go find what repetition you need to do in order to be effective. It's irrelevant whether you're right or wrong because people can be 100% wrong and 0% effective. And that's the worst thing in an organization that can happen because people get super self-righteous and they make everyone else wrong and then they end up feeling isolated themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, I like what you talk about is that, you know, we're not constrained by our biology. We have these yeah. amazing superpowers of language and imagination, and we can intervene in this stuff. And we as individuals can intervene in, in this stuff as well as leaders can. And I think what, of course, in the work that I do, I stand to empower individuals and organizations, right? So to me, that's that beautiful space that you open for us to be able to help us understand what's going on for us, but how can we actually intervene to be able to create a world and organization where we actually want to live and work? Sure. And to me, the most important mindset shift, which I talk about in chapter five, is this idea that we are not dysfunctional beings that need to be fixed. We are beings with infinite potential that need to remove the unnecessary stories that we have in our head to actually live into our potential and that we are actually amazing the way we are rather than we are messed up. Mm -hmm. I, of course, applaud that to its very last molecule, of course. Um, Now, one of the other things that you guys do, you and Mark, um, that I find really, really compelling and and really appreciate, uh, certainly as a social scientist, is that you've identified these eight fear archetypes that are found in organizations. And I find that it's extremely accessible, Gaurav, because it's one thing to talk about fear, but it's uh, quite another to characterize it the way that you did. So I think it would be extremely useful for our listeners and viewers if you could just sort of high level talk about each one of them. Sure. So the first archetype we talk about is the fault finder archetype. So, and this is very interesting. I'm sure people can recognize it. Do you know people in your life when you're doing a presentation, instead of them focusing on the content, they say, oh, on that line, you've got the font wrong. Mm -hmm. That's your classic fault finder. They are constantly looking for what is wrong. And in organizations, when that happens, then you have many people who tell you why you can't do it and very few people who support you in making something happen. So everything is about no versus enablement, right? So that is the first one. Okay. The second one is called the controllers. The controllers are all about making sure that everything is 200% predictable, right? I will try and control everything. I'll micromanage everything because somehow I I have this false sense that if I micromanage everything, things will be okay. And that's why I think the one blessing of COVID is it has blown the myth of control from our lives. Because we can try and control everything. We have literally very little control. So it actually destroys the flexibility and adaptability of organizations. The third one is called competitors. And competitors are your classic, you all know them, right? I mean, you might be one of them. I am definitely, definitely have this tendency of, I prove my value by beating everyone else, right? And this is the core of why silos are there in organizations because I need my team to win, 
and I want the other team to not be as good as I am. Or if something goes wrong, it's because of finance, not because of sales, right? So competitors <laughs> are all about we are better and we are fine and everyone else is not fine, right? And so that's the competitor. And the fourth one is perfectionist, which is I'm not going to share with you anything till it's 300% right. And it doesn't matter if I'm not contributing to the bigger picture of what needs to happen in the organization. I am not going to make a single mistake. And when we do that, we actually lose the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Now, none of these four archetypes, people are behaving like this because they want to be bad people. Right? They do it with good intention. But when it's done excessively, it actually leads to dysfunctional outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, and unconsciously, other, right? And unconsciously, unconsciously, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. So on the other side, we have the avoiders. The avoiders, they avoid difficult decisions, they avoid difficult conversation, they avoid, they just basically will not engage in anything that is likely to end up blowing up in their face. Now, unfortunately, in an organization where there are a lot of avoiders, very little happens. Yes. And in our experience, uh, at least at least, uh, the avoider archetype is probably the most dysfunctional archetype that can exist in an organization because it paralyzes the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the next one. The next one is called the minions. Now, that's a bit of, bit of a pejorative term, but we wanted it to evocate a certain response. But the minions are people who say, the only customer I really have is my boss. Yeah. Right. Even though we talk about customers, but really my only customer is my boss. And all I do is please my boss because that's how I'll protect myself. And that leads to, again, dysfunction because now you're not challenging things. You know things need to be done differently, but you just do it because your boss asked for it. Another version of that type is the sticklers. The minions look at the boss. The sticklers look at the rule book. You know, they'll throw the rule book at you. Anytime you try and come up with a new idea, they say, no, Elise, that's not possible. The rule book says that you have right. to do it this way. Right. Right. And at some level, it creates consistency. But at another level, it doesn't allow for innovation and creativity to happen. And finally, the last group is the likables. Right. Which is, which, which, which is also I call the nice idea, which is nothing in me cares enough to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. So superficially, everything is nice. You know, we are polite, but there is so much which is under the water, which is simmering and can explode any time, but no one is actually having a conversation around. So those mm-hmm. are your eight archetypes. It's fascinating, Gaurav. I really hats off as a researcher and somebody who really tries to understand organizations. I think what you've done with those archetypes is you've really created a compelling space for our listeners and viewers to be able to start to recognize which one of those do you tend to fall into. So as we go into our next break here, if you would, listeners and viewers, consider which one of those do you think you fall into. You can identify your your general tendency and what do you see in your organization. So on that note, let's grab our, 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 our next break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been in the air with Gaurav. 
Botnagar, who is the co-author of Unfear, Transforming Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. We've been talking a bit about the archetypes. After the break, we're going to talk more about how you can use this information to be able to unfear your organization. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One of the bit of news I want to share with you before we go back to the program is uh, last August of 21, I released uh, a, a second book and I'm actually almost more proud of this book than I am my first one. So this is called, it's called Passionately Striving and Why. It's an anthology of women who persevere mildly to live their purpose. And what I did was I literally scoured the planet and found 25 women from across the world, from Australia to Zambia, who share their very intimate stories of how they've discovered their purpose are now serving from it. And the idea is that it's a way for you to be able to access your own purpose and be inspired to pursue it yourself. So I hope you pick it up. It's on, on Amazon as well. If you're just joining us today, my guest is Gaurav Bhatnagar. He is the co-founder of Co-Creation Partners, which works co-creatively with organizations to deliver performance and culture transformations and enhance leadership development. He's the co-author of Unfear, Transforming Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So we left the last bit of conversation there, really kind of a cliffhanger of, you know, what are the eight archetypes of fear in organizations? Now let's talk about the other side again of that important coin. And that is if you would, Gaurav, do something similar by sharing the four unfear archetypes. Sure. But before, I, before I do that, I am super excited to hear about your books. So I'm going to immediately after this go and buy your books. Oh, it's thank you. Super interesting. I thank really you. am excited. Thank wow. you. Uh, yeah, and, which then and, leads. By, and by the way, Gaurav, just so you know, I am out now scouting for men for the men's anthology collection. So if you or anyone you know who want to be part of that book, let me know. So that's my next thing. I would love to. That would be okay. a real honor. Thank okay. you. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah. So on on the on the other side, the unfair archetypes. The first one is the seeker archetype, and this is the archetype which which is the person who leans in to discover. Mm-hmm. This is the person who says, why and what next versus why not or why the hell is this happening to me, right? This is the person who is willing to take risks for their own growth, is willing to innovate and willing to bring together the creative force of an organization so that they all get energized to create something different and better and they don't get stuck in best practice because they're always looking for next practice. So that is the seeker archetype. And it's, to me, it's such an important archetype and somehow it's been suppressed uh, in organizations today. Uh, The next one is the coach archetype. The coach archetype is all about nurturing other people 
in developing them and helping them become seekers, right? Instead of instead of pointing out mistakes, this is these are the people who have this unique ability to help others reflect and really, really step into their own growth and step into the into the fear and understand what is the reframing of fear so that they can find growth and opportunity for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The third archetype is the trust builder archetype. The trust builder archetype is, is, is someone who is able to create what I call a jazz ensemble. <laughs> Remember that from the book, yes. Right? Which is all about when, when someone does something different instead of sitting down and saying, how the hell could you do this, man? Come on, what's wrong with you? is able to riff off that and create new music mm -hmm. and is able to get the whole system to create music together and, and energize everyone to feel that they're part of creating something bigger, right? And then the last one is what is called the achiever archetype, which is, uh, again, all about being driven from a place of creating performance, but not at the exclusion of well-being. It's not done from a place of fear and stress. It's done from a place of wisdom. This is the kind of person who doesn't feel the need to talk when, you know, just for the sake of talking, but doesn't feel the need to stay quiet just because they're feeling like, uh, you know, that someone might judge them. When they speak, everyone stops and listens because there's wisdom in everything they say. Mm -hmm. So those are the four unfair archetypes. Oh, so listeners and viewers, if you don't find that compelling as a way forward for yourself, I don't know what to do to help you. This is so exciting, right? And so when I think about the work that I get to do, Gaurav, helping organizations to create places of meaning where people feel compelled to want to give their best and they, they want to grow. And then we have leaders inside those organizations that are actually stewarding all that, just like you're describing. That's where I want to be. That's the world I want to live in, right? So I really applaud the work that you're doing. And this is so, what you've done, Gaurav, in your work is you've made this so much more accessible for us. And I really appreciate that. As you, as you know, you. I've dripped every last word of it. So, and by the way, just fair word of warning, this has been known to happen where, you know, when I'm out traveling or something, I could show up on your doorstep, just so you know, this has happened before. I would love okay. that. Okay, good. Just <laughs> fair word of warning. Um, okay. So, so one of the other things that you said already, which I do want to talk a little bit more about because it's, 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 it's inviting to our listeners and viewers is the opportunity that you offer is you say that organizations do not transform, it's individuals who do. And you say when a critical mass of individuals transforms, then the organization transforms. Metamorphosis doesn't just change our behavior, but also the root pr perspective through which we experience life. So there's a way to really open this that I think is so compelling, one person at a time. Fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, most, well, as you know, being in this space, most uh, strategy consulting organizations tend to say, let's look at the system and let's change the system. Then we'll work on the team. Then we'll work on the individual. But the system and the team is a creation of the mental models of the individual. So we recommend that you have to flip it and not only just flip it, but you don't just work on behaviors, you work on the mental models that drive your behaviors. The way I see things, the way I perceive things, fundamentally drives how I act. You know, I often go into organizations and, you know, 
I say, hey, more important than this, than the strategy of your organization is the mindset that created it. Absolutely. Because if I know your mindset, I can tell you what strategy you're going to create. Mm-hmm. Right? And if I change your mindset, now the possibilities open up dramatically. So when you want greater possibility, you have to work on the individual mindset and then the collective mindset and then the system mindset. Mm-hmm. So let's go deeper on that, Gaurav, because now we're, you and I are really, we could finish other sentences here now because we're getting into the real juice of things. But for our listeners and viewers, about that mindset. So one of the other things you talk about in the book is that you offer three essential unfair practices of mindfulness, authentic community, and examining our core values, critical to get underneath that mindset, if you will. Can you say more about each one of those three? Sure. So... Which one should we start with? Which one do you want me to start with? Let's start with mindfulness. Yeah, so what is mindfulness? It's a beautiful idea in every way. You know, when I started doing this work, I'm sure it was true for you. When you said mindfulness or meditation, everyone rolled their eyes. Yes, I love your story in your book, by the way, your own story when you're in South Africa. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah and I was rolling my eyes like crazy too. So. <laughs> So, so mindfulness is this idea that you are not you, that when you are in the dance of things, when you're so caught up in doing things, you don't get lost in the doing, so that you can't observe yourself doing it. Mm-hmm. Because when you get lost in the doing, you suddenly don't have choice, because now you're stuck in the doing. Yeah. Mindfulness is the ability to observe yourself in the act of doing so that you are always in choice. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and, and fundamentally, that invites you to understand that you are not just an actor in your life. You're actually the director of your life as well. You know, and the way I ask people to do that is I, I ask people to think about, you know, I ask a very stupid question. In fact, I ask people, how many of, of you ever have thoughts or ideas inside your head? And people look at me like I'm crazy and say, we all do. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, so I say, how do you know that? So he said, because we know. So I said, that's the interesting thing. Not only do you have your thoughts, you have the ability to notice yourself thinking. And then noticing yourself thinking is mindfulness. And if you are mindful about noticing, now you can change your thoughts. If you not, can't, can't notice it, then you cannot. So mindfulness is the practice of being on the balcony while being in the dance so that you are the orchestrator of your life, not just a player and not just an actor in it. Gaurav, that is by far and away the best description of and definition of mindfulness I've ever heard. Thank you. Beautiful. Listeners and viewers, that's your gift. <laughs> okay, the second one is authentic humility. Authentic humility. So this is a really interesting one, right? Um, so humility often is seen as making yourself small. So, you know, when, when I often talk to people, uh, they say, you know, I say, why don't you celebrate yourself? Oh, that because I'm, I have humility and, you know, I've been taught to be. Authentic humility comes from a place of wisdom, mm. comes from a place of being comfortable with who you are. Right, And from that place, the humility is to say, and there's always more to learn. 
right? Authentic humility. Humility is not about making yourself small, which collapses you, but it's about celebrating who you are and celebrating from that place that every time, every moment, there's there's growth and learning available to you. That is what true humility is. Mm-hmm. And authentic humility is. Otherwise, it's just just something someone has told us as a concept. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Also gorgeous. Not not sure that I've ever heard anybody quite describe that authentic humility that way as well. That's so bigger and accessible. Uh, the last one is examining our core values. Yeah. So this is this is interesting because core values now comes to the same conversation we were having earlier about your values are stories that you have been told or you've told yourself, right? And when you ask what your core values are then you are actually truly being mindful and you're you are saying hey i have the ability to be adaptable mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you change your values right but it asks you to query them yeah to it asks you is it serving you is it allowing you to show up at your best and be effective versus that's the given i'm never going to question it and i'm stuck in it right because as we live in a volatile, constantly changing world. How do you how do you move with it? How can you be authentic with it and yet, you know, be true to your values? But if you don't query it, then you can't be true to it. Then it's just a stuckness that you have versus a real vibrant living of what your truth is. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is the beauty, Gaurav, of doing, being who you are in the world and doing the work that you're doing. So, so much of what I'm up to in the world, which I know aligns with what you're doing too, is about elevating consciousness, mm-hmm. right? It's about being more aware of who we are being in the world and how we're impacting other human beings and intentionally lifting more people than destroying them. So I had a guy on the show, um, Tim Stryker, Stryker, talking about, you know, how leaders can, you know, literally leave a negative path of, you know, of destruction in their awake and they just don't know it right so what we've been talking about this whole time today is really how can we elevate ourselves as leaders to be able to transform the individuals inside those the organizations and i think that is such a beautiful opportunity that you've created and there's so much more we could cover in this conversation from your book the action learning that you talk about is fascinating um there's stuff about that you talk about here in terms of different practices that organizations can undertake to bring about an unfair transformation, but that just means they have to read the book, right? So we we have introduced the topic here and now they, they can come back and read the book and ideally talk to you and Mark. So we've come to the end here already, Gaurav, and you know that this show is something that's been, by the way, the show has been around for seven years. Um, it's listened to by people around the world who are interested in creating workplaces where people actually wanna to come to work and do their best, create inspirational leaders that bring them to their greatness, and we do business that betters the world. So knowing that, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? So maybe two thoughts. The first thought is that if you're looking for joy on the outside, then you are in the wrong place. Joy is your state of being. And when you are in that state of being, then you can go after anything you want. But the moment you start looking for joy on the outside, then you make yourself depleted. And if you're depleted, you can't really be unfair. Mm -hmm. And the other thought is this thought which 
<laughs> which is the last line in the book actually is what we we met this guy on the edge of a forest in south africa and we told him about our book and he told us good luck fellas fear is love that has forgotten itself ah oh. fear is love that has forgotten itself so that is my last thought for you Gaurav, what a gift you are. You and Mark have created such an important piece of work. I really applaud the work that you're doing as well inside organizations. It is a delight to have you on. I'm grateful you came into my path, and we will at some point continue the conversation. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. A real honor. Listeners and viewers, you want to learn more about Gaurav Bhatnagar, his, his book on fear, or the work they do at Co-Creation Partners, start by visiting cocreationpartners.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a be recorded podcast. We are on the air with Catherine Matiski of Australia talking about her book, Leading Virtual Teams, Managing from a Distance During the Coronavirus. Next week, we'll be on the air with Donna Cutting, the author of Employees First, Inspire, Engage, and Focus on the Heart of Your Organization. See you there. Remember that works at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.